June 18th, 2018. Big Cat Act Summary for our bill sponsor, H.R. 1818, Senate Bill 2990. This letter to the aid for our bill sponsor was so good, I thought I'd put it here as the details of our struggles since the 90s to end the rampant breeding and exploiting of big cats. This is Howie writing to someone saying, Thanks so much for the work on the draft letter on Father's Day, no less. Wow. I'll review the letter later, but for now, let me address your question about the Fish and Wildlife Service. At the risk of too much information, I'd like to give you a complete understanding as best I can. The Fish and Wildlife Service does not track captive tigers. Fish and Wildlife Service effort is primarily under the Endangered Species Act, the ESA. There is an international treaty known as CITES, and the Endangered Species Act is the U.S. implementation of that treaty. Under the Endangered Species Act, one is not supposed to breed, buy, sell endangered species without a permit from the Fish and Wildlife Service. There is language about not taking endangered species, which is defined more broadly than the usual hunter's term of take, which means killing. It includes harassing the animal, etc. A permit to breed, buy, sell, import an endangered species like tigers is supposed to be issued only to if the applicant can show that the activity has conservation value. Fish and Wildlife Service has a large department whose job it is to process the large number of applications. As an example, right now we are trying to rescue nine tigers from Guatemala, so we have to apply to the Fish and Wildlife Service for an import permit. Three years ago, we rescued a tiger from Peru under a Fish and Wildlife Service permit. Now the 2014 issue. In the 1998, Fish and Wildlife Service issued what is called the generic tiger rule. Generic tigers are those where the subspecies cannot be identified. The only tigers where the subspecies can be identified are those that reside at the large AZA zoos. Those zoos track the generic genetic history of the cats, and under something called the Species Survival Plan, they only breed cats or tigers who are of the same species, and they are careful to ensure that they are genetically diverse, i.e. they do not inbreed tigers who are related. There are only about 300 tigers at the AZA zoos who are of pure subspecies. In contrast, all of the thousands of tigers at roadside zoos and in backyards are generic tigers, aka mutt tigers or junk tigers. There is no tracking of genetic history. They are of mixed subspecies, mostly Bengal with some Siberian blood, and these breeders often breed within a family unit. For instance, one of our tigers was bred to his mother. In the bill, not by us, in the bill, in the conditions under the USDA exemption, you will see breeding only allowed if it is pursuant to a science-based breeding program. This is aimed at the rampant inbreeding. The ACA's species survival plan would be in compliance. Okay, back to 1998. At that time, the Fish and Wildlife Service, we believe, simply to lighten their workload, said that you do not have to follow the Endangered Species Act requirements to get a permit to breed generic tigers. This, as you might guess, contributed enormously to the rampant, untracked breeding. We and other animal welfare groups started in 2011 to urge the Fish and Wildlife Service to rescind this rule. 
If I recall correctly, when the Fish and Wildlife Service posted it for comment, we collectively generated over 100,000 comments in favor. The very modest number of opposing comments all came from the roadside zoos. I am not sure where the reference to 2014 comes from. They may have first posted the the proposed rescission then, but in 2016, the Fish and Wildlife Service did finally rescind the rule. We thought this was going to be significant. Unfortunately, Fish and Wildlife Service has made absolutely no effort to enforce the Endangered Species Act on generic tigers since then, i.e. requiring the breeders to get a permit. When I have asked why, I am told by a person who talks to the Fish and Wildlife Service that it is simply a matter of triage of resources. The department that processes applications does not do enforcement. They just process whatever comes to them. They do not look for people who fail to ask for a permit. The department that does enforcement devotes their resources to illegal trafficking, mostly illegal import of endangered species, and simply judges that to be a better allocation of resources than stopping the captive breeding done without a permit. So they allocate no one to enforce the rule requiring permits to breed. This is their decision, even though the rampant breeding is obviously a huge potential source of illegal trafficking and would be very easy to identify. But no efforts to document trafficking in captive tiger parts in the U.S. has been successful. So, the rescission of the generic tiger rule, if enforced, could have dramatically reduced the rampant breeding. But it has had no effect because they do not enforce it. It would not have resulted in knowing where all of the U.S. tigers are, although it would have at least created records of the breeding. One last important point. The Endangered Species Act says that to get a permit, you have to show that your request has conservation value. The way that the Fish and Wildlife Service has dealt with this for decades is called pay-to-play. For instance, if we want to import these tigers from Guatemala, it does not count that we would use their story to educate our visitors about conservation. In fairness to Fish and Wildlife Service, they argue that if they viewed it that way, circuses and roadside zoos would also claim that they are educating. In fact, Ringling used to make that claim, which in their case, of course, is ridiculous. So, in order to get an import permit for the Guatemala tigers, or for the Peru tiger three years ago, Fish and Wildlife Service wants us to donate money to organizations doing conservation of the tiger in the wild. Even though there is no connection between these particular tigers and that donation, they view that donation as a quid pro quo that helps conservation. In the Peru case, the then head of the department, Tin Van Norman, now retired, accepted our application only after we donated $5,000 to the Corbett Foundation, who builds fences around ground-level wells in India that tigers and other big cats fall into at night chasing prey and die. However, I am told by someone who has done a number of imports that the Fish and Wildlife Service has more recently made it clear they prefer donations to their own rhino and tiger conservation fund. So, in the upcoming application, that is what I will propose. I hope you are still awake and that this is helpful. I think it is important to understand that 1. The bill does not change anything USDA does now, or transfer any duties of USDA to the Fish and Wildlife Service. 2. The only people who have to register their cats are those who choose under the grandfather clause to keep their current animals, but not acquire or breed more. 
So this would be pet owners and perhaps some exhibitors who decide they will only continue to exhibit cats as long as their current one lives, current, current ones live. This registration is one time for the sole purpose of being able to know if those who elect the grandfather exemption are complying, i.e. not breeding or acquiring. The only way to know if they are complying is to know the animals that they start with. There is no privacy issue. Fish and Wildlife Service would promulgate regulations dictating what information they need. All they really would need for each big cat is species, age, name, and maybe a photo or microchip number if there is one, and the location. This information would take almost no effort or time to gather because it is a one-time and simple spreadsheet that would hold it. Three, in enforcing the bill, the Fish and Wildlife Service would simply do what the endangered species cases. In enforcing the bill, the Fish and Wildlife Service would simply do what it already does in endangered species cases. It would occasionally ask USDA to send over inspection reports. The bill does not change the way USDA and the Fish and Wildlife Service work together at all. To determine if an exhibitor was in violation of the requirement not to have a serious repeat violation within 12 months, the Fish and Wildlife Service would simply either access online or ask USDA for inspection reports for a particular exhibitor. It took me a long time to sort out some of this, and you were having to basically dive into a crash course. If you have any questions, any of the above is not clear, please feel totally free to ask. Happy to help in any way I can. If I don't know the answer, I can get it. Howard Baskin. If you're enjoying my diary, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find other ways to connect to me over at bigcatrescue.org forward slash carol.baskin.